Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Elman, and I'm a five-board accredited life coach, and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week, we are talking about fat phobia, and for anyone listening who doesn't follow me on social media, you might not know how passionate I am about talking about this subject. I'm passionate about it, not just because I'm a fat woman, but because I'm against all forms of discrimination, and fat phobia is a form of discrimination, just like racism or ableism. By definition, fat phobia is the fear or dislike of fat and fat people. Fat phobia shows up in many ways in our society, from the fat jokes in nearly every sitcom, the automatic assumptions that people know everything about your health and medical records simply because you are over a certain size, that people are not hired because of what they look like even when they meet the qualifications, or the fact that 10-year-olds are more scared of being fat than cancer, war, or both your parents dying. When the fear of fat is greater than the fear of all those things, we really have to stop and start questioning why our fear of fat is so large and being learned so young. Just to start off throughout this episode, I'm going to be describing myself as fat. I try not to describe other people as fat. I tend to use plus size for other people, but I myself identify as fat. I don't use that word in a negative way or as an insult. I use it as a neutral descriptor, the same way you would describe someone is tall. If someone said, I'm tall, you would never go, no, you aren't, because it's not a stigmatized word. And that's what I hope reclaiming fat will do. It will turn it into a neutral descriptor that it already is. Much like how the LGBT plus community have embraced the word queer, many other fat women have embraced the word fat to not only take away the power of that word from people who use it to bully them, stigmatise them and oppress them, but also to neutralise it and so that we stop using words like overweight and obese. Both of those words come from the BMI scale, which means it is medicalised language and we should not be medicalising human bodies outside of a medical field. Also, the BMI scale is inaccurate, but I'll get into that in a little bit. For now, I'm just going to say that I use the word fat to describe myself throughout the episode, and as much as I want it to be neutral, I do recognise that we're not there yet. And therefore, I do not suggest you going around calling anyone else fat unless you know they identify with that word themselves. And on the same coin, if a fat woman calls herself fat, just don't correct her and tell her she's not. 
I'm fat, it's a fact, and I said fat, not ugly. And that brings me to another point. One of the reasons we need to use the word fat in an accurate way and not as an insult is if we use it more, hopefully it means that associations to the word will drop away. So when I say I'm fat, I'm not saying I'm ugly, lazy, unhealthy, unambitious, lack willpower, or any other negative association you have with it. All I am saying is that I'm fat. I am size 20, which is plus size, and therefore, I am fat. (laughs) How many more times am I going to say this throughout the episode? I think you get the point. As a very simple place to start off, I believe fat people deserve respect. In fact, I believe all people deserve respect, and therefore, fat people comes under that umbrella. I also don't believe that you need to be healthy in order to be worth respect, obviously, If you follow me long enough, you know my medical record and I don't think anyone who's undergone 15 surgeries could be classed as healthy and that's a huge part why I'm passionate about this. But also you can't determine someone's health from their appearance. One thing I hear all the time is, you don't look like you have 15 surgeries. I'm sorry, what does someone who has 15 surgeries look like? A thin person can be unhealthy, a fat person can be healthy, and if you find that hard to conceive, then think about the fact that every person has a thin friend who eats as much as they like, never exercises, and never gains weight. So why couldn't the opposite be true? Well, it is true. So here's some quick fat phobia facts. Body size has 80% heritability. The creator of the BMI scale was a mathematician, not a doctor, who said that it was not effective as an individual measure of health and was designed to be used on a population level and to use it as a measure of fatness was inaccurate especially because the sample they used was only white men. So if you are not white and you are not a man, it is definitely not accurate. And this was done back in the 1800s, back when cocaine was still being used as a medication. Oh, and also, despite all the BMI inaccuracies, it's also been shown that those in the overweight BMI category actually have a longer life expectancy than those in both the underweight and normal BMI range. And Matheson et al. 2012 show that if you implement four lifestyle changes, which are moderate exercise, varied diet, that's not a restricted diet, a varied diet, stop smoking and reduce alcohol, you don't even need to cut it out, just reduce it, then the life expectancy of those in the overweight category and normal weight groups are equal, even if there is no weight change. Wait, so what you're saying is that if you do healthy things, you become healthier? Fancy that! No matter what you weighed before. No matter whether that healthy habit has an effect on your weight at all. No matter if you don't lose weight. Another belief of mine is that if you stigmatise someone for their weight, it is not only worse for their mental health, but it is worse for their health. Oh wait, that's not a belief, that's a fact. Here, have another statistic. Tilka in 2014 found that weight stigmatisation led to higher blood pressure, binge eating behaviours, bulimic symptoms, negative body image, low self-esteem, depression in children, adolescents and adults. So in conclusion, if you care about the health of fat people, fat phobia decreases the health of all people, let alone fat people. Fat phobia means that we still live in a society where people believe that fat people don't deserve clothes in their size, that fat people will be told to exercise, but when Nike comes out with a fat mannequin to hold their plus size line, people were outraged. 
Fat phobia means that fat people are medically discriminated against and get worse and later treatment for illnesses because the number of times they are sent home to go lose weight rather than running the tests they would conduct on a thin person. Not only that, Paul and Brownell in 2012 found that the fatter the patient, the more likely doctors are to leave sponges and instruments behind. 69% of cases needed further surgery. And then probably the worst fact of all is that the North American Association for the Study of Obesity in 2012 found that two-thirds of doctors say that overweight patients lack self-control. 39% say that obese patients are just lazy. 49% of nurses say they are uncomfortable working with fat patients. 31% of nurses openly admit they would rather not care for fat patients. And 24% admitted that working with fat people repulsed them. Now, how do you think this will affect the medical treatment that fat people receive on a daily basis? Fat phobia is also the government blaming fat people for getting coronavirus, voiding themselves a responsibility for not taking action early enough that could have saved so many lives. But let's blame fat people and let's create an obesity campaign to tell people to move more in the pandemic when we've told everyone to stay at home. Oh, and the moment we lift that pandemic, we're going to create an Eat Out to Help Out campaign whilst also still telling people that fat people are fat because it's their fault. But most of all, let's ignore the fact that high BMI is not a risk factor for hospitalisation, mechanical ventilation or mortality in COVID-19, according to this large new study of 10,000 people with the virus. This study was done by Iona Locke Green et al. 2020, but that did not stop our government from using it to fearmonger every fat person in the country. Fat phobia is also the fact that calling someone fat is not only the worst insult, but the first insult people use. An example of this is Trump. There are a million ways to criticise Trump. The fact that people go for their weight is not only illogical, but irresponsible because it doesn't hurt Trump when you criticise him for his weight. You hurt fat people. Also, why criticise him for his weight when you can literally criticise all of his policies? Anyway, so now that I've thrown all these statistics in your direction and brought Trump into it, what do we do about this? Well, let's get into the first question. Hi, Michelle. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about our culture's obsession with weight and how it seems to start even right out of the womb. I've noticed that people are really obsessive about asking for a baby's birth weight. Like as soon as they find out baby was born, if it's boy or girl, what the name is, the next question they ask is, how much did they weigh? And I'm just curious if you have any insight on that or you think it it leads to a bigger trend where we're just obsessed with weight because it started to irritate me a little bit because... If it's a particularly healthy baby, let's say, it's almost like there's judgment passed on the mother or, um, you know, pseudo sympathy for her having to to birth, you know, maybe a a 10 pound baby. And then if it's underweight, it's their assessment of, oh, that they're not healthy or anyway, I just I'm wondering if it's me projecting or if you think there's some validity to that. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Yes, I also find it strange that we say a baby's weight when they are born. It reinforces the idea that we can tell whether a baby is healthy or not simply by a number. And you can't do this in adults and you can't do this in babies. I was a baby in a normal weight range when by the age of two, I'd had five surgeries. By 19, 
15. So again, proof that weight is not relevant. Also because I wasn't even plus size during any of those surgeries. I understand once a baby is born, the weight is used to track whether the baby is eating enough and frequently enough, but the part I don't understand is why is that of concern to other people? Why is it part of birth announcements if the purpose of it is to simply track their eating, for example? Oh yeah, that's right, because the baby's being born in a weight-obsessed culture. You're right, it starts right from the womb, but to be honest, it starts even before that because how much policing do pregnant people have to put up with when it comes to diet and exercise and their own weight? I believe kids notice this and pick up on this and it's no shock then that... I believe kids notice this and pick up on this. So it's no shock that the Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology in 2000 found that body size stigmatisation was already present in three-year-olds and the cultural stereotype that fat is bad was pervasive across gender and regardless of the child's own build. Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that weight is seen as an indicator of health and that's what we've been taught our whole lives. But you cannot tell health from appearance. And so you're right, if we want to unlearn this, then we need to start this from birth. The same way a fat woman has to justify their health every day, but a thin woman can drink and do drugs but is never questioned on their health because her unhealthy habits do not demonstrate on her body in a way that's obvious, noticeable and therefore able to be commented on. I also think you touched upon another important thing. You said how the baby's weight is a reflection of the mother and how much they ate. But weight and how much you eat is not directly correlated. A mother can have a lighter baby simply because the parents are smaller. A baby could be heavier because both the parents are taller. And if we extend that into adulthood, the assumption that if you are fat, then you've eaten a lot and not moved enough... There are many cases that cause weight gain, including medications and illness, and this is another association that is inbuilt in fat phobia. In terms of the judgment of the mother, I think this happens no matter what. The baby's weight is simply being used as a tool of moral superiority, but if it wasn't the baby's weight, then it would be whether they're breastfeeding or using a dummy or, to be honest, anything. And the reason why this happens is because one of the things people are most insecure about is their parenting skills and whether they're good enough parents. So they project that insecurity, they criticise new parents, give unsolicited opinions and judge others all in an attempt to feel morally superior for having more experience so that for a brief second they can forget their own discomfort and their own insecurity. Thank you so much for your question. It actually opened up a conversation that I've never had online. And considering I've been doing this for five years, that's saying a lot. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are talking This Is Us. Every week I dissect dysfunctional conversations that I see on TV and we use it as an opportunity to improve our own communication. If you haven't watched This Is Us, it's a beautifully heartwarming show and honestly makes me cry nearly every episode. And within the show, there is a couple called Toby and Kate. They are both plus size and they are both people who are unhappy being fact. In fact, they met in a dieting group. It's important to distinguish that they are fat people who are unhappy in their bodies because not all fat people are unhappy in their body. And this is a huge discussion that needs to be had about how we need more representation for fat people who are happy in their body. And not every fat character needs to have a weight loss story arc or even a storyline involving their weight. But that's a different conversation to be had at a different time. This time, though, we're going to be talking about a storyline that happens a few years into their relationship where they've both had a baby and after Toby has had a heart attack, he starts working out in secret and hides it from his wife because he didn't want to make her feel bad about the fact that she had always been unsuccessful at losing weight. And of course, she's recently had a baby. There are multiple scenes around this story, but in the scene where Toby reveals he's been going to the gym, she asks why he didn't tell her and he responds with, because you were being this rock star mum and I didn't want to make you feel bad about not having the energy to go to the gym or stick to a diet right now. Look, Kate, I had a heart attack at age 38 and with Jack, he's that's his son, his life is going to be challenging enough. He doesn't need to have a dad that's going to drop dead one day teaching him how to tie his shoes. And that's where she responds, oh, like his mum might. Now, I could spend ages on the health aspect of this, but I'm not going to. I want to focus instead on the common conversational pattern that is taking place here that happens in a lot of relationships, where one party hides something in order to protect the other party, but the hiding of a secret often causes more damage than good. In a functional conversation, Toby should have gone to the gym and not made any assumptions about how Kate was going to feel. If he was concerned it might make her feel bad, then he could bring it up to her and have an open conversation talking about his feelings and owning that it's his stuff by saying, I know you've not said anything to imply this, but when I work out, I feel bad because I think it might put more pressure on you to lose weight as well. I want you to know that's not what I want and that doesn't need to be your priority right now since our newborn son is. Or this is the option that I would choose if I was Toby. If I was Toby, I would recognise the guilt I am feeling is my stuff, is none of Kate's business or her issue, and in fact has nothing to do with her. The only reason I am feeling this guilt is because I'm projecting and imagining what I would feel like if I was Kate. But just because I would feel like that if I was Kate doesn't mean Kate feels that way. 
and therefore I would take myself into a room by myself and process that guilt, accept that I have nothing to feel guilty for and not hide my gym sessions. But by hiding it, he actually ends up doing the thing that he doesn't want to happen. In relationships, you need to let people have their own feelings. You can't avoid their feelings by hiding your actions. And in most cases, you end up hurting the party more because of the secrecy and the underlying consequence in the message that the other person receives. Because it sends the message that there's a lack of respect because it implies incompetence. It's essentially saying, I didn't think you were competent enough to manage your emotions, so I hid this from you. It's caretaking the other person's feelings and not giving them enough credit that they are strong enough or capable enough to handle it themselves. Of course, this is not what was said. And so when Kate responds, oh, like his mum might, that's not hurt because he's going to the gym. That's hurt because he hid it. There's also some insecurity around the fact that she hears him equating being a good parent to working out, but he never said that. And in fact, he actually says that on the show, I never said that. She heard that and she heard it because the worry already exists inside her. From this conversation, we can learn that trying to bubble wrap or prevent someone's emotions does not help them. And it does a disservice to them because it's not giving them enough agency to actually make a decision about how they feel. Because they don't know the information to begin with. When you give someone the information, they get to make a decision about their feelings. Altering your own behaviour to avoid another person's potential feelings is actually projecting. Because you don't know how someone is going to feel. And so what you're doing is what I call mind reading. And that never ends well. Because instead of assuming, you could just ask. Asking will always cause less harm than assuming. And if you haven't watched This Is Us, I highly recommend it and actually think it's a really healing show for the current state of the world that we're in. But anyway, on to the next question. Hey Michelle, I hope you're having a good day. My question's about fat phobia. My dad often makes comments about fat people being really unhealthy. Uh, Even when I tell him that health can't be determined by appearance, he just doesn't believe me. I've already told him about the inaccuracies of the BMI system, but he's still just doesn't um, believe me or still thinks that being fat is just extremely unhealthy. Um, And I was wondering if you knew any books or whatever to convince him, just that I can tell him that he might change his mind. Okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Um, I love you. Sincerely, Anonymous. I am sending you so much love. I totally understand wanting to educate the people around you. I went through that journey myself because when we learn all about fat phobia, it's shocking and you want to share that with the people around you. But unfortunately, not everyone is open to learning about it. And I personally do not believe in shoving information down someone's throat because if they aren't ready for it, then it likely pushes them in the opposite direction. We have to remember that whilst there is this pocket of the world in body positivity that is publicising these facts and promoting these studies, everything else in the world is working against us in terms of diet culture. He is living in a fat phobic world and he's been living in that world longer than you, so the messages and belief are more deeply ingrained than yours will be. Also, if someone has spent their entire life trying to lose weight or even just body shaming other people, it's quite earth shattering to have their entire view of the world shifted. And so that will bring up fear. And sometimes that means people cling on to the fear of having their worldview shifted rather than accepting that they might be wrong. However, a book suggestion is a good way that you can give it to them as a gift. And if it sits on the bookshelf, it sits there on the bookshelf. You cannot force them to read it, but at least you tried. 
The best one about weight and health is Lindo Bacon's Health at Every Size. It is packed with statistics and facts on why health and weight isn't correlated. As well as that, I would also recommend The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. That gives you a lot more of the history of how these beauty standards are created. Body Positive Power by Megan Crabb is a good catch-all for everything body positivity. And Happy Fat is another great book full of statistics on fat phobia, and that's by Sophie Hagen. Slight side note for anyone listening, I think reading books is really important and it's so crucial to educate ourselves and it also helps us to unpick our own internalised fat phobia. So as much as I could spiel off statistics for the next 20 minutes, none of that will cover half as much as these important books have. If you want to unlearn the fat phobia you've been taught in society, you need to be equipped with facts to battle the internal dialogue inside your head trying to tell you otherwise. We have to remember you're trying to unlearn a lifetime of things you've been taught, so it's going to take work, time and energy. You know how much work it takes to unlearn yourself and that's why I would just be a bit wary about trying to change your dad and keep your expectations low because Jacob Broad said it best. Consider how hard it is to change yourself and you'll understand what little chance you have in trying to change others. Another quick thing I want to mention is if the reason you want to educate your dad is because his comments about health and weight are towards you or your body, then you are allowed to set boundaries without educating. Simply saying stop commenting on my body or I didn't ask for your opinion on my body is more powerful than justifying why his comments are inaccurate. Stay consistent, cut off the conversation every time he tries to start it and don't justify why your body is the size it is or that you are healthy at your size. I hope those book recommendations help and I'm sending you so much love. This week's three quick tips are on how to address internalised fat phobia. Number one, become aware of your language. Stop calling plus size women brave for wearing the same clothes as thin women wear every single day. When you call someone brave, you're saying they're doing something extraordinary and it's not extraordinary to just exist and it really should not be. It's normal. So stop saying that and also stop saying, I feel fat. Fat is not a feeling. And when you say that you feel fat, what you mean is you feel insecure, uncomfortable, you feel bad. That all reinforces these negative associations with fatness. Become aware of the language you are using and the unconscious associations that you make every day and then change it. You are not your first thought. That is what you were taught, but you are your second thought. So that's what's important. Number two, stop assuming weight loss is good, positive or always for healthy reasons. Stop complimenting people on their weight loss. When people compliment you on your weight loss, simply say, have I or I haven't noticed. In fact, stop commenting on people's weight entirely. Follow the principle, my body, my business and therefore their body, their business. Despite the norm in society, you don't need to comment on or even acknowledge bodily changes simply because your eye has noticed it. Number three, diversify your newsfeed. Follow plus size and fat creators and not just those who talk about their weight. Follow fat therapists, fat professionals, fat beauty bloggers, fat fashion bloggers. Make sure your newsfeed looks like the world around you and by having access to fat people as complex humans, we unlearn the stereotypes and associations that we learn about fat people in the media. If you are fat yourself and unable to see your own beauty, this is also a brilliant way to start seeing beauty in other fat people. And hopefully that will translate to yourself one day too. On to the next question. 
Hi Michelle. As part of my role, I work in a zoo in the education department and I teach kids skills to help them become zookeepers in the future. And as part of this, we have to talk about, uh, quotation marks, healthy weight ranges for certain animals. And I always really struggle with this subject and I struggle with justifying why the zoo keeps its animals within a certain weight range without using fat phobic terminology fat phobic language or anything like that and it's i hate it because the students i teach they're all teenagers they're between like 15 and 17 and i really don't want to be using that kind of language or giving them those kinds of ideas so i wondered if you had any ideas of how i could broach this subject without perpetuating fat phobia that would be really helpful thank you well that's a very interesting question i must say in all my years of talking about fat phobia i have never even thought about fat phobia in that setting but of course fat phobic language is easily spread and whilst you're talking about animals it's very easy for the teenagers in the room to extrapolate that to themselves the first thing i would do is start saying words like supposed or some studies say Present it as one point of view, not the only point of view. And if you're allowed to, then present the other point of view as well, the non-fatphobic one. Even if all you can say is, this is how we talk about animals, but this is not to be applied to humans, and it's important that we emphasise the difference, that can be a starting point to create a little wedge in the fact that this is not the only way to think about it. Another thing I would suggest is if you're allowed to stick in some book suggestions or if they are teenagers, Instagram accounts they can follow. And maybe after that module, ask the students if they have any questions and specifically ask if this module creates any concerns about their own weight and body image. And if it does, to come speak to you after if they want more information. Open up the conversation so people aren't walking away from that class, projecting these conversations about animals onto themselves. If the conversation about healthy weight ranges for animals is necessary, then the fatphobic language around it definitely is not. And unless you're being told word for word what you have to say in these classes, you can alter your own language quite significantly to remove the language while still teaching the necessary information. I don't know if this is possible, but another thing you do is actually to talk to the person who's in charge of the syllabus and come equipped with health at every size statistics, as well as eating disorder statistics, and make a point that you are concerned about how it's affecting your student's own body image and self-perception and whether the language being used is necessary. At least from this point of view, they will need to defend their choice and they might not have actually even questioned it or considered it because it's probably part of a syllabus that's being used widely and therefore they've just copied and pasted from other programs and others use without actually having a think about what's there and you'd be surprised how little thought they've put to it until you bring it up i hope that helps and thank you so much for a really interesting question and every week i end it on something i am working on because it's important to remember that even professionals have their own personal growth that they have to go through and to normalize us all working on ourselves at the moment, I'm currently creating more space in my life to feel my emotions. I think 2020 has been a year for 
everyone to slow down in general, maybe not for the doctors and nurses and all the essential workers, but for the majority of us. And whilst I would say I didn't particularly need the pandemic to be my learning lesson, because I've always created time and space for alone time, the feelings I'm holding right now are quite painful. And I do have a tendency to want to know when it's done. In fact, I have a really bad habit of asking my life coach, okay, but how much longer do I have to do this? Okay, but how long is this going to last? Okay, so if I do this for a week, will it be over? when's this going to feel better I want to always get to the end of the process meaning the process often takes longer because I'm not feeling it fully and it's like I sit there and watch a clock essentially so I guess what I'm actually working on is accepting the phase of life I am in oh and also not labeling it as a good or bad phase because whatever you label as good or bad is actually a judgment So thank you so much for all the questions. This podcast couldn't happen without your voice notes. And so I really appreciate anyone who has sent a question my way. So if you want more episodes, I need more voice notes. And if you want to be part of a future episode and get your question answered, then email me a voice note asking your question at inallhonesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk. You can literally ask a question on any topic you want, whether that's body confidence, sex, toxic relationships, how to cut people out, boundaries or manifestation, anything you want. And the email address will be down in the description below if you didn't catch that. And in the meantime, follow me on Instagram at scarrednotscared. You can also find me on Twitter and TikTok at the same username. You can get my book, Am I Ugly? Or watch my TED Talk, Have You Hated Your Body Enough Today? I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode and tune in next week to hear more. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 